welcome to Reimagine Hybrid Work, a Data for Betterment Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Lopez. I'm the founder of Lopez Research and the nonprofit, the Data for Betterment Foundation. The foundation's mission is to help individuals and companies prepare for the future of work by understanding how technology will change business and careers. If you like this episode, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com for links to follow the show on your favorite app and subscribe to our weekly newsletter for additional show content and articles. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Maribel Lopez and my blog on lopezresearch.com. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez and I'm joined here today with Donnie White. He's the co-founder of Satisfy Labs. Donnie, welcome to this program. Thank you for having me. To get started, I thought maybe you could share what Satisfy Labs does and why you decided to start this company. Was there an original problem that you were looking at and does that problem still exist today? Yep. Satisfy Labs is a conversational AI company. Our mission statement is to actually make conversational AI hireable. So we think about your employees and, and workforce. Well, is there a place for a digital employee who lives in chats and voice and other applications that can communicate the same level a human would? My partner and I were both uh, Wall Street executives. I was a head of product at Bloomberg. He was head of prop trading and CIBC, we met at another startup and started talking about information and data. He one day was reading the menu at City Field and said, do you know they have bacon on a stick there? I said, no, (laughs) I would love bacon on a stick right now. And he goes, well, how would anybody know that? I go, yeah, how would anybody know that? So we originally went into the sports space just to surface things like bacon on a stick to a fan who's in a big place and can't search and find what they're looking for and hard maybe to find a person to show them. That's how we started the company. Now, see, this is a problem that needed to be solved. I love it. I love bacon, bacon on a stick. This sounds like a great, fabulous, fabulous problem to solve. Uh, But when you look at it now, now we've gotten past, you know, if I go back a couple of years ago, I don't think anybody really was thinking that the whole digital bot thing was going to work, that we're going to get the right natural language processing, all that other stuff going. But now I think we're much more generally accepting of this. So what are some of the biggest opportunities you see in these AI-powered assistants that we're talking about hiring? Everyone starts with FAQs. I would tell you that's an unfortunate like connotation for the technology because it's, it's actually fairly problematic to go that route. AI shouldn't learn like wide bands of information that don't have anything connected. So I think the the biggest opportunities right now are actually to give them real jobs. Like when you think about the nine to five day work day being obliterated by working from home, I'm working from home right now. I could tell you my day does not start at nine. It does not end at five. There might be pockets where my wife makes me do something. There might be pockets where the dog demands something, right? It's a lot different. So now what you'll find is people are starting to see that they're very task oriented. And if given the right instruction, scope and teaching, 
they could actually do a significant percentage of, of things needed, especially in the off hours. So the ability to address a consumer's needs when they're ready, not when the business is ready, is what's becoming a huge, huge area of opportunity. You know, this fits into something that I researched a while ago called right time experiences, you know, right information, right person, right time. And the time is, as you noted, not necessarily bounded neatly in this little nine to five or nine to eight bucket. It's whenever they're available. You know, you look at small business owners are frequently doing things at 11 o'clock at night. And if they need service, there's no one around to help them as an example. So I do believe that there's some opportunities, as you say, to, uh, to hire some of these virtual AI-powered assistants to do things at different times. But also, I think when you talk to organizations, in their mind, there are probably a lot of challenges. So what are some of the things you think organizations should be doing to overcome these challenges and really to see ROI with AI assistance? The first obstacle is the belief that they're meant to replace people. I think that's a another thing. It's it's funny. I actually sent an email out to our investors and employees and I mentioned that you know the first connotation of AI is Arnold Schwarzenegger with a machine gun and a leather jacket. The majority of my employees weren't born when that movie was introduced. So you want to feel old as a CEO, that's a great great time to have it happen. So I think when you introduce the concept, at least at some time, the buyer says, oh, if I if I hire these, I won't be able to hire more people. Like if, if sometimes efficiencies actually cause someone to think, well, then I can't get the staff I actually do need. Or if I get this AI, then and my argument is very different. There is a high demand of consumer interest or want to communicate that's limited by human staff. So at midnight, two in the morning, or even at a high volume day, you'll find that the generations, even my my kids as they grow up, want this type of engagement. So it's not about reducing staff. I don't think AI is a staff reduction tool. I think there is another layer of engagement that the AI is designed to do that's just missing. And so I don't know that every customer or prospect that we speak to understands there's another layer of engagement that's opportunistic, but not there. There's a lot of focus just on what's inbound today. And that's not the full picture. There you go. But, but it, it really is right. Because I think there's been an acknowledgement in the customer care space for some time that maybe we weren't doing everything that the customers wanted from us. Uh, and part of that was a scale issue that you mentioned. There's only so much that we can do with our existing staff. There's only so many hours in the day that they can work. There's only so many of them that you can hire. So how do you create these newer types of experiences that, frankly, uh, as you noted earlier, make me feel very old with the Terminator reference because I do remember that. <laughs> and actually, for a while, every time I mentioned the word AI, either Hal or Terminator, were the two things that came. Uh, that mm-hmm. came Hal, Hal's came a good up. one. Uh, now we're starting to get out of that and I think see some of the opportunities to it. And I want to I credit um, folks like Alexa and Google and Apple for taking some of the initial arrows on that to make it so that people thought that conversational AI might be something that was even possible. So they did a lot of uh, good work there. There's a lot of ground that we could cover uh, at this point. And 
One of the things I think is interesting is this discussion of how can an AI assistant be useful in my business? You know, how, how does it actually learn? We have specific industry terms. We have specific data. Uh, how do we bridge this divide uh, from what people think it can do and, and the reality of it? Like when you talk to people about that today, do these types of concerns come up? Yeah, they're... It's, it's really unfortunate that, that some of the technology has been deployed in, with such a deflection goal. So, you know, our mission statement, making it hireable, means that, you know, we're stretching to something different, whereas there are some, like especially live chat companies, that would put a bot in place to kind of keep the person occupied until a real, real help can, can come. I just think that's the wrong goal. So the way that you can train it, it's, it's really a data play. I mean, if you have enough data, machines can learn quite a lot and answer with a high specificity that you wouldn't think possible. But without that data, which one organization might not have, it could be a challenge. Our business is vertically trained. We vertically train the digital employees. And then there is knowledge sharing across similar customers. So if you're a zoo or an aquarium, museum, if you're a theme park, if you're a baseball team or a resort, any of those actually are now getting the shared knowledge and training. So one customer doesn't have all the labor intensity. But if you don't have that, if you're trying to just build your own little box, it's going to be difficult for it to be smart. So there has to be kind of a greater good concept where the, the more knowledge and information we can share, the more intelligent they can be. Think about hiring a person and all the experiences of all the companies that they bring add value to your business. Our AI and others is designed similarly. I want the experiences of other organizations to be taught to yours just because you're in that same segment and you're not geographical competitors. So you don't care so much that you're sharing some employment uh, attributes. It's interesting that you bring up that concept because I never really thought of it that way. If you think about the the inherent knowledge that an employee brings to a role and that how one of the things that we're thinking about doing is creating a similar style inherent inherent knowledge in a digital team member, so to speak. Uh, so that, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. So I want to switch gears yes, for a minute. And, and I'm going to switch gears because I, I know that you talk about this sometimes, and that's the metaverse. It's a hot topic these days. <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. I know. Uh, what do you think companies should be considering, if anything, <laughs> when they think of the metaverse? And are there any intersections in terms of what we were just talking about with um, AI assistance and the metaverse? First thing I raise is, it's highly probable, if not 100% probable, that voice will be the entry point for much of our communication in the metaverse. Uh-huh. The concept of typing and chatting is, is not as experiential as, as what you would have. If, if goggles are the one entry point, um, I just met, we're actually partnering with a spatial computing company that builds domes and they create three-dimensional digital um, experiences where you, you have the goggle experience, but without it, because the dome uh, achieves it. In all these cases, you're now going into these timeless and limitless brand activations, 
So, you know, depending upon what world you're in and, you know, we could go on and on about all of the, the rumors and how things will work. And can I share, you know, avatars from world to world? But at the end of the day, if voice is going to be a primary potential medium, and then if hours of the day are eliminated as a thing, if a singular point, singular point of communication reference is now also difficult, well, then the human staff can never keep up with the consumer experience demand or, you know, what you just mentioned, the broadening of the experience opportunity. The metaverse broadens it to an exponential level that I just don't think enough people would be available to even service and nor should they. So I think the AI staff rises up in the metaverse, even as it is today. That's really interesting. You know, I, I go back and forth on the metaverse. I, I deal with a lot of um, traditional uh, IT leaders. I, a broad, actually, I deal with a broad grouping of people. But one of the things I think is really interesting is um, the metaverse as a concept is very polarizing. People either think it's going to happen or they don't. They seem to be all in on it or not. And I, I'm still undecided. What I think, I think the metaverse will happen. I'm just not sure it will be as big as everybody's talking about. Having said that, though, you can't, you, you can't count out the opportunity to have a different type of experience. And when you think of where we are now, like everybody's done wave one of their digital transformation, and we're all into digital acceleration now. And it could be that the metaverse is one of the things that is digital acceleration for our time. So it will be interesting to see the, the jury's out on that. Wanted to maybe circle back on something that you started talking about, and these are common misconceptions in AI. And you know, one of them, uh, one of them was that they replace humans. Is there anything else that you'd like to see as a misconception that we should get rid of, or an opportunity that we should be more focused on? Yeah, that that they have the expectation they would just organically should know everything mm-hmm. or anything. I, there's a when we started the company, we didn't have like today we actually, the product is, is role-based. So we'll go into an organization and say, well, here are the six roles, jobs that the AI assistants do. And each of them has a certain, certain KPI. When we started the company, it was more like, here's a white labeled search engine for your business. Here you go. It's going to do, it's going to, and it was literally labeled like, ask me anything. And then we found there are a lot of things that people or the customer would expect it to answer that, that it, it would, who's going to be, you know, elected president. What's, what's the color of this person's tie? Where does a celebrity live? They would ask it on dates. Like it was quite a range of, of things. Packaging, packaging it in a siloed contained, I call it a job role, whatever is important because you'll be let down if you have a, a higher expectation, but don't put it in the right context. Our product, our new product is actually called the context NLP because in a certain box, this thing's going to operate at a higher level than you would expect. People are trying to spread it in too many boxes at once and then disappointed it's quote dumb or, or simplistic. So in, in narrow ways, it could be highly advanced. I would tell you, some of ours could outperform a, a person in that role because it's not a fit for them. Think about food and beverage. Is there a person running around a, a large 40,000 person live music event 
helping everyone find the cocktail, beer, or food they want? Is there someone running to every person's seat going, hey, what do you need? What do you need? That's just not feasible. But in the AI world, it is. It's very feasible. Everyone could have their own. So I think that the misconception that they can A, do anything, B, don't need to have specific roles. And then the disappointment is actually more led to how we perceive it, but not actually the technology itself. I absolutely agree. You know, one of the key issues, nothing can go wrong faster than expecting your virtual agent is going to do more than it can. And, you know, we've seen examples of people not going back and looking at what some of the problems were in terms of fallout around using that. And if you provide a well-scoped problem, your likelihood of success is much better. Like if people are doing password resets and other things. But if it's everything from, you know, what color is a tie to a password reset, it's hard for that to actually get going and, and be successful and has high likelihood for failure. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you're a founder of a company and being a founder has a lot of interesting steps along the way. And I was wondering if you had any advice for some of the folks that might be listening on how to navigate that startup world or uh, how to deal with moving from startup to selling to large enterprise customers or any thoughts on that landscape? Yeah, when you you have a Big company attached to your name, they usually respond to your email faster. So I remember the first time I had an email that was unrecognizable and nobody wanted to talk to me. Whereas when I was at a big, large company, I had a lot of, quote, friends. I think that the first thing to do is there has to be a an introduction at the right place in time, which I sought out at the places that I needed. But once I got in front of our first enterprise customer, which actually was the, the New York Mets, I remember saying to the person on the other side of the table, how do you get a raise? What, what are the ways I could, as a technology provider, help you get a raise? I think many times startups try to tell the enterprise what like they can do for them per se, but sometimes getting your sponsor or advocate personally aligned so that you're actually here to build them up, make them the champion internally. That has worked really well for us because then it's not as much about our selfish need to want to get a client or a pilot. It's also about how do you get the person on the other side an incentive to, to help you through a process where you're a small, no name potentially. And obviously they have a lot of suitors. So that's, that's been successful for me. I love that because it's really connecting with a business problem because that's really what it comes down to. It's like, how do you get promoted? It's like, well, I have to do X differently, better, faster, cheaper, whatever it is. And if you can connect with a real business problem, chances are they're not the only company that has that. And it gets you some immediate time to value, which I think is always important in an organization. So we've hit that point in the podcast where I asked the bonus question, and this is, can you recommend a book, an activity, a podcast, or a place that the audience should know about? It's actually a company that I, sorry, it's a book I've been recommending internally, Only the Paranoid Survive. It's written by Andy Grove, founder and former CEO of Intel. And it, it actually, it was recommended to me by an investor because I was telling him, I think we fail at everything. I think there's a competitor around every corner. I think there's a problem 
I haven't seen. I think there's problems our, our employees don't see. And he recommended this book partially for therapy so that it was more a mindset that you should have. And I just think it's a great um, articulate book. Obviously, Andy Grove leading Intel is a pretty good reference for that. But Only the Paranoid Survive would really make you both feel better about how your mind works, but also give you some structured ideas about how to apply that more successfully and, and positively. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Donnie, it's been a true pleasure. I've enjoyed speaking to you. You've got some great insight on where the space is going, and we look forward to seeing what you create next. If people want to find you, where can they find you online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Don White, CEO at Satisfy Labs. My email address, if I, a lot of people have it already because I get a lot of emails from people I don't know every day. It's just Don at SatisfyLabs.com. All right. We'll look forward to talking again soon. This has been a great podcast. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com to subscribe to the show and the newsletter. Until next time, wishing you all of the best in everything in life and in technology. 